In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachontis and Lysatius, tetrarch of Albaline, during the high priesthood of Annas and Sophias, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make the paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight." And the rough places shall become level grounds, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with them who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Fans of the musical Hamilton or history buffs will quickly recognize the name Aaron Burr. Burr, who became vice president with and under Thomas Jefferson, had a life that included some heroism, a life that included uh, success, but also challenge and difficulty. But after the fateful day where he decided to duel Alexander Hamilton for his honor because Burr had on not on one but many occasions would be accused of doing things for his own gain taking bribes seeking power for his own good one of those occasions he would guard his honor and duel Alexander Hamilton he won the duel But he lost in the rest of his life because after slaying Hamilton, his life was never the same and went on a downward trajectory. 
where folks would see and know his heart in a way that had been unknown before. But many may not know that Aaron's story also included another famous affiliation. His father, who was uh, one of the first presidents of the college that would later become Princeton University, followed by his grandfather, who would be president there. His father, his grandfather rather, is known to many, myself included, as maybe the greatest preacher and theologian ever to come to the Americas. Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher of the Great Awakening, was Aaron Burr's grandfather. You see, hope came to heartache because of the unresolved issues in Burr's life. And it didn't matter that he had the right lineage, the right position, and even the right grandfather known to many as a very faithful, God-fearing theologian and preacher. And that brings us to today's text. You see, we hear clearly told to us in the prophet Malachi and in the prophet Isaiah preached by now John the Baptist that your lineage, your association will not save you. Only Christ can do that. And so we get this very uncomfortable text right here in the middle of the second week of Advent. It shows up as John the Baptist does every year in Advent. I mean, as Lori Cornella wrote, she says it's hardly the deck the halls kind of message that you come to expect. In fact, I like how one pastor put it. He said, well, you remember that great character in the Christmas pageant that comes right down the uh, center aisle of your church? You know that part where they're shouting, you brood of vipers. You don't remember that part? And yet it shows up every year, the second week of Advent. And as Cornell will go on to write, but for those with the faithful ears to hear, it is the message that we Advent people anticipate. God has work to do on us, cleansing, refining, preparing us for his purposes. God has work to do on us. And that work will ultimately lead us straight to the gospel. Both Malachi and John the Baptist proclaim these uncomfortable truths. That the root will be cut with an axe. Not your lineage. And it's one thing. It's, it's one thing as Burr's own grandfather, Jonathan Edwards, will 
be famous is famous for saying it's one thing to say that honey is sweet. It's a whole nether thing to taste and experience that honey. And so you and I, as we come to this table of grace today, we are invited to come repenting, come under the refiner's fire and cleansing, a heart change, not by your works or mine, but by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working through these prophets, speaking then and speaking now. And what does the prophet tell us? That the paths will be straight? The the valleys will be filled? the, the, The mountains leveled? Well, imagine some of you traveled to worship today from the East Mountains. Imagine if somehow the the Sandias were somehow flattened. Just imagine how much quicker your commute would be right across, right? That's the same message, this phrase in Hebrews to remove or empty, to get the obstacles out of the way, that the arrival of the coming Messiah The revival is coming quickly now. It's coming quickly now. The obstacles are being put away. And that straight, flat path gets us there more quickly. He's telling us about the return, Malachi is, of the prophet John the Baptist who is to come. But he's telling us more than that. He's telling us what he says in that text is the messenger of the covenant. We translate from a Hebrew word, which is really a messianic title. The messenger of the covenant is coming quickly. And when he comes in this fullness of time, it's important to note that he's coming in this moment in history. He came and he will come again. Both Malachi and Isaiah and elsewhere in Luke 3 give us precise, exacting details. I'm guessing some of you who are gracious and volunteering as lectors are glad you didn't have to read some of those names this morning. Some of those details that I read in Luke 3, but the truth is that he's giving us precision and history. The first century historian Josephus would write extensively about John the Baptist. These prophecies are being fulfilled. And so what I want you to hear this morning as we hear the details, whether it's 500 years before John the Baptist in Malachi or in 27, 28, 29 AD, around then for John the Baptist, it's a a real moment in history being fulfilled, a real faith. And it's coming to both your heart and your head. This transforming, refining fire that comes to cleanse us. We, the brood of vipers who we're being preached to, come to refine us like it refines stones and make them beautiful, treasured metals like gold. God is coming to do something beautiful. And this real moment in history can be real in your life as well.
One of my favorite pastors who I like to quote, you've heard me on many occasions uh, talk about him. He wrote an article in the Atlantic Journal. He's a pastor from New York, Timothy Keller. And he, some years ago, he talked about how his faith had gone deeper as he drilled into the evidence for the real historic evidence for the resurrection and that his hope and his trust in the Lord had only gone deeper in the midst of suffering at that time, a type of cancer. But now as he writes in the Atlantic and he's experiencing at just age 70, stage four pancreatic cancer, he says, I return to that same study material That material that N.T. Wright, the theologian and scholar, wrote about the hope and historic hope of the resurrection. And he writes, I came to it with greater skepticism than I had previously applied. I didn't want to be taken in now that he faces the end of his days. Would he hold on to that which he preached to so many now throughout his life and talked about at the end stage of life. And he writes, but as I reread his arguments, they seemed to even be more formidable and fair to me than they had in the past. They gave me a place to get my footing. This real historic moment gets our footing. It, our minds are engaged with the truth of the reality of this promise that is to come. But he needed more than that, more more than just mental assent. He needed to taste that honey. He needed to confess and believe that the Lord is good, as the psalmist writes. To know that that parousia, as he's now anchored in the truth of this historic moment, was there for him. God's plan is coming together. God's plan of salvation is coming. And so we were reminded of that in our real life today. Just as that pastor is, we are as well. And as we hear the truth of these powerful words in Malachi and in Luke, we discover that God is bringing us through these uncomfortable words of law to refine us and to cleanse us with his gospel. So as one scholar reminded us, go to the small catechism, go to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, an employee, an employer? Have you been disobedient or unfaithful? Have you been lazy? Have you been hot-tempered or rude or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you been neglectful or stingy with your giving? Does the world surround and feel like it should be centered around you like it was God rest his soul and grant mercy on him, Aaron Burr? Let these words sink in anew today that refine us and cleanse us. As Wallace Becker puts, he still comes with two words, law, that's the law, and then ushers us to the gospel. His law shows us who we really are, what we really are. And his refiner's fire 
This launderer's soap brings us to repentance so that in the gospel he can raise us up and encourage us. It's not if you do this. It's instead that this reality has come to you and now it transforms you. It's no surprise that at Christmas time, that as we are so blessed, there's so much more generosity because having been blessed, we can't help but be a blessing. That's what's going on here. Having received that gift of baptism, uh, the, the folks asked John the Baptist, what shall we do? Well, now they bear witness with their ethics and with their kindness and their generosity. How shall we return after repenting and receiving this gift? We bear witness. That's what we do. God's plan is coming together. And I pray that as you experience that mercy, as that refiner's fire is refining you and leading you to the gospel, you would come from this table of grace and bear witness because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen.